Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Crew. I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus, joined by my good friend, Avery Zaretsky. There's no Cody Frankel today, so we can all celebrate and clap and have a good time. Uh, just kidding, Cody. We love you, but uh, also fuck you. Um, we have a great interview today with our new best friend, I think safe to say, Michael Delzato. Had an awesome time with him, and he was kind enough to stay on with us for about 45 minutes after we got done because it was taking a long time to upload. So uh, thank you, DZ, for that. But Avery. What's going on? We both got the Barry Mead MSG swag on. Shout out to the boys. Got the hoodie on. Yeah, no, my my shirt's actually in the wash right now. But I got to tell you, man, Michael Delzato was so cool. Such a good guy. And it honestly brought me back to when he was playing because he was one of my favorite players. He wore number four, which was, which is my birthday. Birthday number four is always a big number for me. So I always I always loved loved the way he played the game. And it was great to have him on, and he told some great stories, a lot of stuff about things that we haven't heard before. And and we, you know, it's funny this interview we kind of went a little bit off the playing time kind of thing. We got a l- little bit more into the life of the actual New York Ranger and and what they went through as a player versus being actually on the ice, more off the ice stuff. So it was actually a really interesting interview, and he he told a lot of awesome stories. So uh, I'm excited for everyone else sack to of shit, it. though, because I thought you wore 27 growing up because of McDonough. Didn't you say that like two weeks ago? No, I never said I wore oh, number okay. four, but I always liked okay. the number four. I thought you were saying you wore four. I'm like, what do you wear, a new number every episode we have someone else on? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I wore four like one year. I just... I didn't necessarily like the way it looked on the jersey. I always liked having the two numbers yeah. on on the back. But um, yeah, I mean that's my number. I agree. January I was always 4th, a double number kind of guy too. But yeah, everything you said about DC couldn't be more like spot on. Nicest guy, and we knew he'd be cool. But I think he was even cooler than we expected. But let's yeah, go into the Rangers Calgary game, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Ranger Edmonton game tonight. As you're listening, since it's coming out on Thursday, Calgary game. I thought you know first ten minutes pretty rocky rest of the game very happy with what i saw yeah i mean at the end of the day the rangers are notably slow start team they they come out slow but at the end of the day you can't sit back and look at that first period as a bad period i thought they overall played an outstanding hockey game they outplayed the calgary flames for a majority of the game and the, the stars are they're coming out to play, man. Lafreniere looks great. Panarin is is otherworldly, and it's and it's really alluding to the fact that Laviolette's just putting the best guys out on the ice. He's letting the best players play. You're seeing Panarin get double shift. You're seeing Lafreniere get more ice time. You're seeing Heedle flourish. Like it's it's only the beginning of of what could be a really good year. And we talked about him a lot in the preseason, but Gus looks amazing. He's, mm-hmm. he's really that 6D man that's keeping this group together in terms of the last couple of years. The Rangers have had trouble filling that six-man spot, and I really think he's the guy. So, Chris Drury, great job on that. I have a hypothetical for you. I guess it's not really a hypothetical, but uh, a question I want you to think about, I guess. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the third line, we talked about it a little bit before. You know, I tweeted last night that I thought Trocek and Cooley had arguably their best game of the year so far. I thought they were just super noticeable. Yep. Wheeler, everyone notices he's a little bit of a step behind. If that continues, would you consider throwing Wheeler on the first line for a game with Sabanajad and Kreider, moving Kako down? Because, listen, as good as Kako's been, I don't think he's been unbelievable. And you want to get Blake Wheeler going just a little bit because you don't want him just to drag down that third line all year, right? You want to get his confidence up. He's a goal scorer. He has the ability to finish. Can you maybe see Laviolette flirting with the idea of moving Blake Wheeler up, even if he doesn't deserve it, just to get him going for a little bit, whereas Kako has shown he can play third line and still be the same kind of player? For sure, yeah. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't look at lines as a barometer of time on ice. Every, every guy 
even the third line guys sometimes get more time on ice than the first line guys. It's just about matchups and how things go in the game. So I wouldn't hate seeing them flip flop guys just because Kako's going down to the third line doesn't mean he's not going to get a lot of playing time. Laviolette knows he's a great player, knows he's he's going to be very beneficial to this team. So he's not just going to sewer him. But I do think, listen, first of all, you don't touch the second line. It's playing amazing. Mm -hmm. you, you don't touch the second line. But if the first and third line are having a lot of streaky games, and I've said this before too, my barometer is 10 games in terms of figuring out what chemistry works and what doesn't. If we get to 10 games and the first line just isn't clicking the way we want it to and the third line, same thing, you got to mix and match, guys. Of course, Blake Wheeler's a veteran. He was close to a point of game last year. Give him a chance on the first line. Who knows what could happen? Maybe with, with a little extra speed with Kreider. I don't hate that at all. It's it's a very different combination on that line. You got the super mm -hmm. veteran in Blake Wheeler. You got the young rookie in Will Cooley. And then you got the guy who's in the middle is Vinny Trocek, who's a veteran who also has a high skill level. So I think that I completely agree. I think you can move Blake Wheeler up to the first line. I don't see his play deserving a demotion. I can see it deserving more of a let's try him in a different spot to see what happens. Well, right now he's got zero points in six games and is minus three and plus minus doesn't really mean everything, but you know, this is an offensive player in his past that right now is not really in an offensive role. And I think he might be struggling with that a little bit. I think his time on ice right now is around the 12 minute mark. Yeah. 1223 is his average time on ice right now, which is not much ice time. And as good as Kako, Zabanjad and Kreider have looked at times, their five on five production isn't really there. Kreider's got five goals on the year. Three of them are on the power play. Mika hasn't scored a goal yet, and Kako only has one goal in six games. So, you know, if you want to look at it production-wise, sure, they've been fine, but they could be much better. And if you want to get the best out of Blake Wheeler, maybe giving him a little bit more ice time with the better players could be more beneficial. He's not playing on either power play unit right now, so there's no real rhythm going for him. And uh, probably the first time in his career where he's dealing with that because he's been you know, pretty much a star everywhere else he's been in his career. So if you're just, I don't know, I like, I, I'm sure there are, pe there are people out there right now that completely disagree with what I'm saying. But if you're looking at this, like, Hey, it's early on, this guy's not going yet. Six games in, we know what we got in Kako. Let's see what we can get in Wheeler. If we put him in that position. Yeah. I'm not ready to super micromanage him yet. Yeah. Uh, obviously the point total is not there, but at the same time, we know what he can do. And do we, yeah, we do. I mean, he's a point, like I said, close to a point of game, point of game player last year. But at the end of the day, he's playing with guys like Mark Shifley. He's playing with guys like Kyle yeah. Connor. He's now on the third line with the Rangers playing with Vinny Trocek and Will Cooley. Two guys who I think are great players, but are they Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor? Probably not. So it goes right back to your point. I think you give him a shot with the first line. Eventually, if things don't start to click, yes, you do that. But right now, Keep them the same. The Rangers are winning games. They look great. And maybe maybe this third line will figure it out. Who knows? Yeah. To be clear, I wasn't saying they should do this tomorrow against Edmonton. I'm just saying, like, no. at some point, if Wheeler continues to, you know, of trend course. in this direction of just, like, you know, not really knowing where his, I guess, role technically is on this team, would you consider trying that? I yes. just think, you know, Kako could definitely have a little bit more production. He has two points in six games. You know, he's playing first line minutes. Um, you'd like to see him produce a little bit more, I think, at that rate. But, you know, I, again, the, the team's winning hockey games, and that's what matters at the end of the day. But I just thought, you know, I wanted to see your thoughts on that. Um, now going into this Edmonton game, the Oilers are without Connor McDavid. They've looked like shit in the beginning of the year. Their goaltending has been atrocious. Uh, they just lost on the road in Minnesota by a score of 7-4. to four. What do you think about this game? Obviously, there's somewhat of that uh, – rivalry from last year with the dry cycle incident um the rangers had that crazy comeback and the shootout win there's been a lot of good battles back and forth between the rangers and oilers uh the last year so what do you expect for this game listen edmonton's always going to give you a hard game it's going to be a high scoring game it was a high scoring game in minnesota they're a great they're 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 fast they're they're talented they have leon who's a top three player in the game right now top three yeah for sure you think so? Hundred percent. I don't know if that's a crazy. I don't think it's a crazy statement, but I, I'm curious. I don't know. I, don't I know mean, are you going? Are you go? Are you going based off of like 2023, like starting from the beginning of the season, or are you going like? Sorry, 
Mr. Popular over there. If I'm saying the top three players in the NHL right now, my number one is obviously McDavid. I think I'm going two and three. I think I'm going Kale and Nate, two and three. Leon might be four or five for me. I don't know if he's three. Uh, I was, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I think that. Um, I and that's that, no disrespect to Leon. I'm just saying, like, I think. Yeah, I think your answer would be different if Leon was playing for a different team. Like, he's. Yeah, because he's just in the David shadow and whatnot. Yeah, you just watch the Oilers play, and when he has the puck, he's so dominant. Like, his speed and his size don't really match. He plays the size of a massive power forward who can also skate very, very fast. So, and he has an amazing shot. So I think that he, anytime he's in the game, he gives their team a chance to win, never counting an opponent out. But I think the Rangers are playing great. I, I think that they, they're starting to click at, you know, on all cylinders, maybe the first line, third line need to pick it up a little bit more, but that second line is so good, man. I, I, I dream about that second line. It's, it's a special, it is a special thing. I'm like I'm like drooling while I talk. I mean, it's a special thing watching that second line play, um, and, and it's really fun to see Lafreniere starting to flourish. I saw, and it's so funny when these things come out because you think about it, and it's it's like a clickbait thing. But Lafreniere has more goals than Ovechkin, and th yeah. there's a lot of guys who got more goals in right now. We're mm -hmm. only you know six games in, but whatever. And he'd have a couple assists too if Hedl could bury one. Hedl's snake bitten right yeah. now, but he looks great. He's been playing really well. He's got five assists in his last two games, six points on the year. Uh, Panarin, obviously, a point in every single game so far, eight points on the year. Um, those three just look really confident, really comfortable together. And um, yeah. that that one play last night where uh, Laugh had the puck like on the blue line, and then like a no look backhand across that Royal Road to Panarin for the one timer. That was a sick dish. Uh, obviously, no goal, but yeah, the three of them are clicking. Hedl looks great. Uh, and it's only a matter of time until him and Mika find the back of the net. Because once those two get going, this team's a little bit scarier. I mean, the Rangers are winning games right now, and Mika and Heedle haven't even scored a goal yet. So that's a pretty positive sign, I th I'd say. Yeah, they're 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 flying. I think they're flying under the radar right now because that second line's going, but the first line needs to get going. I mean, listen, they're going to do their thing on the power play. Look at Chris Kreider. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of guys who can deflect, sixth in the probably. league right now, thirty yeah. percent. If you, if you look at guys who can deflect pucks and who are the best at it, it's him and Joe Pavelski. There's no question that they're the two top guys who are so good in front of the net. Kreider's, you give 10 power play chances, Kreider's probably going to score at least on two of them. So mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's really good, really, really good in front of the net. And we know what Mika can do. He, he, he shows the flashes, and it's, the goals are going to come. They always do. I never get worried about that. They always do. So... Any I'm final a, thoughts before we go into the interview with Del Zotto? Um, I'm trying to think if there was any other standout. Keandre Miller looked great. Uh, he he led the team in analytics uh, the other night. He was great. He led them in all analytics? Yes, he led them in. <laughs> Every category? No, not all category, but uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's the one with... Um, there's always these all, all these different charts, but uh, Hockey Stat Cards does a great job with them. Keandre, mm -hmm. Keandre led them in production, led the team in production analytically um, with Kreider and Truba following him in the top three. So like I being I, on I, the ice for offense production. Yeah. Uh, the most offense production we got out of a player was. I don't know. Like I, I know that new NHL edge uh, stat site on NHL.com. Um, it's pretty cool. It's, it has Panarin, Hedl, and Lafreniere in the top 10 uh, in the league, spending most time in the offensive zone, which is pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But That's it? regardless, Keon, yeah, Keandre was just, he, he stood out to me a little bit. He, he, he was, he looked a lot better and maybe that's because he hasn't had the greatest start. Um, so it might've just been him finally like showing what he can do again. But um, yeah, man, the the team looks good. It's an it's an exciting time as always to be a hockey fan. Uh, we can no talk about the frozen frenzy. I just didn't like it really that much. Um, it, it's just oh, yeah, different. We, should, we should talk about that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's, big. It, it's important. It's, uh, it, it's just it, it's not it's it's what it, it it's what it is, but it's not what it's supposed to be. Like 
the the red zone thing is so good because they're stoppages and they can switch back and forth. Hockey's just so fast, man. And, uh, you know, I, I like highlighting all the good things. It, listen, it's great for the game regardless. Like, you're just showing more hockey. But it, it was also the first time. Like, you know, they'll, right. they'll figure it out, I think, and get better as each one goes. Oh, for sure. I just think it's not what we want it to be yet. Uh, so I, I'm not going to jump the gun and say that I'll never watch it again because I obviously will. But it needs work. Mm -hmm. the only thing i would say is i wish there was more live action i feel like it, the goals you saw was all replay like after um, that's the thing it's too it's back. too fast it's the game's too fast yeah which i guess i mean red zone's a lot of replay too they kind of rewind and show you how they got to the red zone and stuff like that but i feel like there were times where it was just watching replays and not like live in-game action um yeah. there was one really good part though when the Islanders had the power play, Palmieri scored, and then it jumped right to Bedard, who scored that goal, but then it was called for offside. But that was a great little, like, two, three-minute transition where it was, like, boom, power play, boom, goal, like, live action, like, just going back and forth. And then there were some times where I thought they maybe just spent too much time, like, in the studio, um, which which is fine. Like, you're promoting the product, um, and you want to, you know, give attention to Bucci and Weeksy and all those guys and, and let them kind of be themselves a little bit. But it took away from the game action for sure because, like, that was the second time ever where – you know, all 16 teams played on the same day. So hopefully they can do it. Um, well, I guess what my last question about it, what do you think of the staggered start times? Because the first hour, there's only like three games going on, and it was at the peak at like, you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock when there was like eight games on. You got to start them all at the same time. Yeah, you just got to start them all at the same time, right? If you're chasing the model of Red Zone, which is top three invention of all time, maybe yeah. right along with air conditioning and the light bulb, <laughs> um, if you're chasing that, if that's what if that's what you want this to be, you have to do it the same way. You just have yeah. to. Yeah, I know a lot of people were saying like, because the first game was at six o'clock. Like, whoa, when does the Frozen Frenzy start? Like, people didn't know because yeah, all the stagger times and stagger times are great. Like, I like when I can just flip from game to game and not have to deal with intermissions and commercials and stuff. But I guess to your point, you know, the whole point of Red Zone is like there's seven games on at one o'clock and it just jumps from game to game to game to game to game. Whereas here it was a little bit different, but I, I think the idea and the concept is definitely there. There's just going to be little things they have to do to fix it and make it better. But and if you start the game, if you start all the games at the same time, there's going to be way more things you can cut to. There's going to be like power play. You could do four power plays at once. There's going to be so many mm -hmm. things going on at once versus if you just have three games on the TV, you know, you're, you're sitting around waiting for something to happen. There's always going to be something happening when every single game starts at the same time. Yeah. hundred percent. But I think with that said, uh, we should go into this interview with Michael Delzato. Hope you guys all enjoy it. This week on the Blue Crew, we are very happy to welcome on the 20th overall draft pick in the 2008 draft, a guy who played for the Rangers from 2009 to 2014, the king of the stretch pass. And if you're a Mike, if you're a Mike Stud fan, you might know him as DJ Banana Hammock, like I am. But welcome to the show. Number four, Michael Delzato. <laughs> DZ, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for that intro. It's nice. Yeah. Reliving the days of, of the stretch pass and then the banana, banana hammock I haven't heard in a while. So that's good. I appreciate that. As a, as a Steve, I had to sneak that one in there. I love Mike Stud. Uh, big, big fan of his. <laughs> but yeah, man. I, yeah, he's an awesome dude. I grew up and, uh, you know, I played forward, but whenever I had the chance to play D in men's league or, or D in roller, I always tried to do the DZ stretch pass. So I was a big fan of that growing up. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Those are good years. You know, it's, uh, it's crazy when I think it was my third year when Brad Richards, uh, came to the team. Uh, he was kind of my mentor and towards pretty much told me to be glued to this guy's side. So I kind of felt bad for him, uh, for a bit, but one of the first things he told me was like, enjoy every day because it's going to fly by. And at the time, you know, I'm 22 years old, I think 21 years old. I'm like, Oh, whatever. Like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, I think he was in his early thirties and, here we are now, I'm 33, retired, and you're bringing up the stretch pass. And honestly, it feels like yesterday. It's crazy how fast it flies by. And there's obviously the roller coaster rides, the ups and downs, and um, you know, playing on so many different teams, especially the last few years of my career, kind of you know, craziness. But um, it flies by. It's crazy. Crazy flies by real fast. Avery, before you hop in, I have to just follow up with one quick thing. I wanted to ask about you know retirement. Obviously, congrats on your retirement. Recent announcement. But you just mentioned Brad Richards and Torts, and I feel like I heard a story recently about Torts like telling Richards to go get fucked up with a guy or something. So can you dive into that one a little bit? I think Presty told that story. Uh, Presty remembers all those ones. Um, 
you know, torches old school in the way. Basically, the moral of the story was, you know, Richie was kind of struggling a little bit, and and torch like honestly, just just go get fucked up and get your mind off the game. Basically, he was he was in his head too much. He was overthinking everything, and he was just trying to get him to relax, just to go out and play and, and play like you were a kid again and have fun. And um, obviously, he didn't mean go get fucked up. Uh, he was just like you know, he was just trying to. Uh, try a different message to get him uh, to stop gripping his stick, and as Torrance would say, play with his swagger and just enjoy the game. So uh, that's that's what Avery yeah. <laughs> floor is yours. That. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I was just gonna start off basically like, listen, I know you're in Florida. I just moved down here. I need to learn how to get a tan like that. I am so pale right now. <laughs> it, it looks brutal. I, I people can tell I'm like a foreigner down here because I I came down from New Jersey and I don't have any tan. I think I just got to get on the beach. You're you're like everyone else here. Everyone's from New York and Jersey. Everyone I meet, they're New Yorkers. Um, you had a, two hours in the afternoon by the beach. Uh, that's that's the key. I do it every single day. Um, honestly, it's probably the happiest I've been in a really long time. You know, the schedule is, you know, usually this time of year you're you're starting starting the season up the the stress and the the anxiety of the game and where you're fitting in the lineup. Are you making the team and all that is is pretty um, pretty much at the forefront of your mind. And now. You know, I'm just doing just doing me. Yeah, you know, it's the first time in I don't know how many years where I get to control where I am, what I get to do. Um, you know, still working out, still staying in shape. I don't want to be one of those guys that puts on 50. Uh, you know, the year after he retires. Um, but it's been great this whole summer. I, I knew I was retiring after right after last season. So this whole summer, I basically traveled around, spent uh, extended time with my family that I haven't got. You know, really since my career started. So it's been, um, you know, it's been uh, really. You kind of alluded to it there, there just for a second about, you know, I, I played in college and just having hockey be your entire life and take up, you know, everything you do, like the meals you eat, the, the way you sleep and just how you go about everyday life. I feel like you've been more outspoken about it, like toward the end of your career, even while you were playing, you kind of spoke about it a little bit. But can you talk about just like when you first came to New York, 19 year old kid and how hockey may have just consumed your life versus, you know, where you got to that point when you felt like you can do other things and, you know, hockey isn't just everything. Yeah, it's different when you're younger because you're naive to the business side. So you, you know, I come into New York at 19 years old. I'm still trying to make the team. You know, I get off to a, a really, really good start there. Your power plays buzzing, um, getting points. Remember, like Sean Avery <laughs> made a joke to me one day. He's, he's like, "Oh, like, the league's easy, eh, kid?" And it's just like one of those. You're just playing. You don't know anything else, right? You're you're enjoying the game. You're having so much fun. You're playing at MSG. I remember my my first game was in Pittsburgh, and it was against the Penguins. They're raising the Stanley Cup banner. I'm looking across the ice. You got Crosby, Malkin, Latang, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, and you got some like yeah, you know, the veteran guys like Bill Guerra, and you, and and you're like, holy shit, like this is like this this is for yeah. real. Um, then the next game is at MSG, arguably the most famous arena in the world. I score that night. They got the uh, the whole crowd chanting my name. My parents are there. I remember seeing my mom on the jumbotron crying. It's just like. Things happen so fast. You didn't really get an opportunity to take it all in, think about what was going on, and, and really have the pressure, I guess, to get to you. And you were just playing hockey as if you were, you know, playing pond hockey at home for me in Toronto. Um, and then once you start to struggle a little bit, then you understand, oh wow, the media's on you now, the coach is on you. Um, you have people texting you, wondering like, why aren't you putting up points? And there's just all these external factors that that come to. Um, come available or, 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 or come about that you don't really know about or don't think about. And then that's when it gets, you know, gets to be really tough. And, you know, you're playing at MSG every single night. It's, you have 20,000 fans and they're, they know the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if you're not playing well, they're going to let you know, add the media on top, on top of it. You know, you got assholes like Larry Brooks, <laughs> just trying to carve you every, every single night. <laughs> you know, it's not, uh, it's not enjoyable. You got guys who've never played the game and think they know everything about it and, and telling you how you should, what you should be doing, how you should be playing. Um, so it wasn't until probably the following year that it actually kind of hit me a little bit. Um, and then you got a, a real taste of, of the business. You know, I got sent down, I wasn't putting up points. I was actually playing really good hockey. But as a number one power play guy, you're expected to put up points. And I wasn't. I was snake bitten. Um, and I had been sent down. And that was kind of like the first, all right, this, like, this is the business side of here. There's not really, you know, most guys who get taken in the first round or most guys who play at 18, 19 years old are typically on rebuilding teams where they can allow, they give them a couple of years to work through the mistakes and work through the, the tough times to become an everyday NHL player. 
you don't get that opportunity in New York. And, and you're seeing that now with the Lafreniere's and the Cacos and everyone's all, all, all over them. And are they underperforming a bit? Yes, maybe, but they're also not getting top six minutes and number one power play because you have other guys who are making eight, $9 million who are going to get that opportunity. So there's the, the good and the bad of going to an original six franchise like the Rangers, a team that's trying to win every single year as opposed to going to a Buffalo or a team that they're rebuilding over so many years and they're giving you a, a long leash. Mm-hmm. Damn, you just knocked out about seven of my <laughs> questions with one answer. <laughs> we uh, can dive into it a little bit more. I just, you know, once I get going, no. it's, you know, it, these no, are just no, little no. things that, that not everyone understands about the game. It's not just about playing hockey. And I guess I didn't quite answer your question about, you know, sorry, I, I sidetracked no, no. of the other side of hockey and enjoying the, um, you know, being able to have a life outside of hockey. And, and that was probably what I tell, tell everyone, the best place to, place to play is New York because you get access to everything. So when the season starts in September, you get to town, you have U.S. Open tennis. Mm-hmm. Then the next week you have fashion week. Now you have football starting up. Um, typically the Yankees are good, yeah. so you'd have playoff playoff baseball. Your season's obviously starting up as well. And then it's like every week there's a, a restaurant opening or a club opening. Um you have um, Broadway shows, you have the Rockettes, then you have American Thanksgiving, then you have Christmas time. And it's just like, there's always stuff to do. And, and and every sporting event you get access to. The Knicks, you'd sit courtside. So you can do as much as you want to do it. But the problem is you can't let it affect, obviously, your play. So there, there, there's a fine line and a fine balance. And you, know, I enjoy doing all that stuff because you know I was 19 to 24 years old. I was still trying to live my life and enjoy it because, and I, and I got to experience it later on. Next thing you know, you could be traded to Winnipeg and you're probably not leaving your house for four months. So, so there's the good side of playing for New York and, and with all that comes, as I mentioned before, the pressure and, and all that. It's actually so yeah, funny. You said that. Cause my follow-up was going to be, yeah, definitely way better than playing in fucking Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> It is. I tell guys all the time, like, you got to enjoy it. Like, you know, just because, but the other problem is too, and, and I, I found this later on in my career, um, you know, once I started getting into DJing, it's just like a, a very big passion of mine. But the perception for whatever reason, people just assume, oh, this guy DJs, like he must be doing drugs or partying. It's like, no, I actually have other hobbies. There's other things I enjoy doing other than hockey. And for whatever reason, some people think, oh, you should be you know, thinking, playing, doing hockey all day long. It doesn't work that way. On practice days, you're at the rink for maybe four or five hours, and then you have the rest of the day free. It's, you know, why can't you enjoy other things, yeah. right? And, and that was like a almost a constant battle of, and I think part of the reason why maybe the NHL doesn't have a lot of personalities is because it is a very much an old boys club, and you're expected to just do hockey. Where you look at these other sports, these athletes are very outspoken. They show their personalities, and that's also a reason why you know, there those sports are growing at a, a rapid rate, and hockey much, uh, much less. Yeah, LeBron fucking walks into the arena with a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a little much. Yeah. It's a little much, but but you but you get you get the the point. Yeah. He kind of does. He is who he is, right? Yeah. And he, granted, he's arguably probably the best player of all time. So mm-hmm. he can, you know, if if Crosby did that or McDavid did that, no one would say anything. You know, if I did that, I probably wouldn't be playing that <laughs> night. But that's, that's just, just kind of how it works. Taking the under on the shot props. Yeah. Del walking in with wine. <laughs> <laughs> was there any uh, exclusivity to those, like, that access or tickets? Like, was there a pecking order or did you have to – were you just able to get whatever you wanted kind of? That's actually – that's a great question. No, we – you know, we got kind of whatever we wanted. We only had, you know, through my time there, four or five single guys. You know, most guys had girlfriends, wives, and, and kids. So – um, typically if we needed something, uh, whether it was a, a restaurant, uh, a reservation after games, it was, I can't really remember one time where it wasn't, wasn't handled, which was great. So sick. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all yeah. right. It was all right. We got to experience New York the right way for sure. So I'm curious about this cause I know college hockey and the NHL are obviously way different, but I feel like <laughs> I've actually never asked a pro this before. So I'm curious how you're going to respond to it. But at MSG, obviously there's so many celebrities, models, you know, whatever you want to call it at the games. After coach comes in, draws up the game plan in between periods, are you guys kind of shooting the shit about like who's in the stands that night? Because I know in college we all just like you know once, once coach <laughs> leaves the room, we just start talking about other stuff. So like, what did you guys talk about? Yeah, it, it it depends on the guys. So I was you know again the youngest guy. We had an older team. Um, I'm sure you've heard stories. Hank, you you can't even speak to him on game yeah. day. So you kind of had to be cautious and careful about where he was in the room <laughs> because you didn't want him. 
you know, losing his focus or, or glaring at you or, or telling you to fuck off and, and, and shut up. Um, yeah. I like to, I like to keep it looser. Some guys who are very um, have a very strict routine, who are very, um, you know, Dan Girardi and, and, and Callie had one of the best ones. I don't know what time it was on the clock before we we're going out, and every single game, one of them would come back with a Red Bull. They would flick the the lid of it and they they would show each other the top. <laughs> I remember one one game. You know, I was young and just trying to have fun. One one game, I'm hiding behind um, the door, walking in, and right as Callie's walking in, I like jump over his shoulder. I'm like looking at what he's doing, and I don't know if like him or G, one of them had a really good game that night. So now every single game after that, I had to do that uh-huh. because that was their routine, and they were so superstitious. I was like, God, this is exhausting. Every single game at the same time, I had to do this routine because that's just what they did. So there's guys like that who are so superstitious and they don't miss a game. Um, and I've seen a lot of it for me. I just like to keep it loose. I shoot the shit, um, talk about whatever. So yeah, I'd probably be one of those guys who talk about that. And, and there's for sure other ones, but again, you just have to be mindful of, you know, some of the older guys and then some of the, um, very, very strict guys like Hank, you don't want to be pissing them, pissing them it's off. It's so funny how different everyone is. Like it's, it's crazy, but Avery, you got something quick. Yeah, no, that I, that's actually leads up to a great point. I, I was wondering, were you just the kind of guy, because there's so much more that goes into it than just hopping on the ice. There's like the equipment, there's everything. Were you just a guy like, give me whatever, I don't give a fuck, or were you just like, <laughs> I like no, this, I, this, I, and this? I, I'm, I'm very high maintenance when it comes to my equipment, very high maintenance. And you can ask any trainer that's had me, they, they'll, they'll uh, gladly tell you. Um but as far as superstitions and whatnot, I think as my career went on, I was very, uh, I became very lenient towards it. You know, early on in my career, I was, I was pretty strict. I only had steak the night before games. And then I got to the point, I'm like, this is, this is silliness. You know, especially in New York, there's so many different restaurants. I just started to expand uh, my palate a little bit. Um, as far as equipment, yeah, I was just very strict. I used the same stick from junior up until um probably like my seventh year in the nhl yeah seventh or eighth year i was playing in vancouver and elias Pettersson. i'm like i'm watching him shoot the puck in practice and he's the guy's like 140 pounds soaking wet hell of hell of a player mm-hmm. and he's just pounding the puck i'm like how the fuck is this guy <laughs> shooting it so hard like there's there's nothing to him and then i grabbed his stick and i took a shot with it i was like holy like this you know it, it's all the stick and that's Similar with golf and all these other sports. Now the technology is is so advanced; it's doing all the work. So I end up switching my stick because of him. Uh, but I use the same, you know, pretty much two by four for for like you know ten years because I just I didn't know any better. And I, as they say, if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix mm-hmm. it. Um, so I just didn't adapt with with, with the times. You got the uh, the Marty St. Louis treatment because he used that yellow stick like his whole career, right? Even when it went out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He well, he was the only one where they keep the same paint job. Mine would just be the new graphics painted onto the old technology. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't as good as him to, to get that treatment, unfortunately. So it's just so crazy to be. Uh, sorry, Johnny. It's just so crazy to be like the, the players are so superstitious. And you think about me, like growing up, like if I didn't open the door the right way in the morning, the Rangers were losing. <laughs> <laughs> the Rangers weren't going to win. Man, it, it's funny. My brother. And my last year and a half, my uh, my brother actually got transferred to New York for work. So myself, him, and his now wife, uh, but at the time girlfriend or fiance, sorry, we all lived together. So they came to every game, and and my sister in law would tell me after the game, just my brother was so superstitious too. He'd be at the games, and depending on like what he drank that period, if we if we had a good period, he'd drink the same thing. If not, he'd switch it up. Like so, there's so many different things that I love hearing the stories as fans too, that they're very similar to the players that, you know, they're very mentally engaged in the game too. And, and the littlest thing they feel can impact the outcome, which is, is hilarious. I'm pretty me. sure Avery wore the same underwear every day of spring 2022. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, at least you, tur- you turn it, turn them inside out. But DZ, you mentioned Hank and his seriousness. We've obviously heard a lot of stories about the famous Hank stare. If you, you know, tuck oh, them over God, on a goal, yeah. you have any of those stories where, you know, one slipped by and Yeah, and numerous. Were... Yeah, numerous, numerous. He, you know, when we had torts, you had no, you, you had to block shots, right? And that coming in as an offensive defenseman, I was, could have been less interested <laughs> in blocking shots, but he taught me like, this is how we play. I don't care who you are. And, and that's what one thing I respect about him and, and probably makes him my favorite coach I ever had was whether you made league minimum or you're making $10 million, however many goals you have, like 
everyone played the same way. Everyone bought into playing that way. And that's why, you know, we were had so much success for so many years. Even some of the years we may not have been the best team, but, but we were, we were bought in from day one. Um, I remember numerous times, like I was trying to block shots. I didn't really, I wasn't like, like G like Dan Girardi where he had the technique and it was just like, it was a skill for him. So I was still developing and, and, and trying to learn that side on the timing and getting in the right lane. I, I don't know how many times, too many times I'd go down try and block it or I'd be in the wrong lane. It'd go by me and he wouldn't pick it up till late and, and it'd be a goal. And he'd, he'd stare me down. He would belittle me essentially. And, and, it's funny. I'd have buddies. I like, my mom sometimes like text me if they would be home watching games. Like, like why? Why does Hank have to do that to you? That's so mean. <laughs> like, give me a hard time. Like, it's it's the king. You know, you kind of just have to live with it. And and you get where he's coming from. Like it, him and Torts would get in battles because he would want to see the shot at all times. But Torts like, no, we're blocking shots. Like, I don't care what you're saying. So there's there's a bit of a there had to be a little bit of a compromise there, especially on the PK. How we kind of adapted at least letting him see the, the short side. We take away the far side. So there's um. You know, he, he hated it though. He hated guys going down, trying to block shots. And it was, it was a constant battle for, for the D man and him. You're just like torch, please listen to Hank. Let him see the puck. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to fucking yeah, exactly. It. Exactly. I'll, I'll let you guys talk, please. Like, I don't want to be in the middle of this. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. We, uh, we know, we know the Rangers is obviously a world-class organization, how they treat the players and whatnot. Did you like being home a lot or did you like going on the road? Cause and Johnny knows this too, like in college, when you're traveling with the boys, most guys are single, you know, some guys have a couple of girlfriends. So you're just with the boys. You're, you're going to different cities. You're going to different places with the boys yeah. and you're having meals. Did, did you love that part of it? Or did you like being back in New York? I love the city. Don't get me wrong. You know, the city is the best. It's my favorite. Uh, I love the road because as I mentioned before, we only had four or five single guys. So on the road, you actually got to spend time with other guys, get to know them as, as people you know, at home, we'd have practice games and guys would go back. So it will go back home to, to be with them, which obviously you understand. But being on the road and spending, you know, a three-hour dinner with, with a guy you typically don't get to talk much about or talk much with, getting to know his family, his upbringing, um, you know, different stuff, maybe different hobbies, interests you would never know about. Because as I mentioned before, at the rink, some guys are pretty strict before games where, you know, I could shoot the shit about anything, but not everyone was like that. So to me, the road was a very special time because it's just – you're getting quality time with your teammates where they're not distracted and having to worry about, you know, different stuff that may be going on at home. So I did some uh, deep extensive research for this and I came across an old YouTube video of like a house tour with Tyler Sagan and you're just fucking <laughs> chilling there in the backyard. Is that who you spent your time with? I got that with? tan. I got that tan. Yeah. I got that tan still there. Um, we lived together for two summers um, in Toronto. He's from Toronto as well. So we lived together and trained together in the summertime. Uh, my deep partner for one year and a good buddy of mine, Steve Eminger, yeah. was best buddies with um, with Gregory Campbell, who was in Boston, who was teammates with with Segs, and they're both like, "You guys would get along great. Like you guys have the same personality. You're very outgoing. Um, you guys should get together." And we ended up living together for two summers, training together, and it, it was awesome. We had an amazing time. We worked our asses off. We pushed each other in the gym, but we also enjoyed ourselves. We traveled a lot together, so we got to see the world and um, you know throughout the summer and you know. I think one summer it was almost every weekend we were gone for eight weeks in a row, which was, you know, we had a blast. Um, and you know, for him, for, for me, you know, he's, he's a superstar, you know, he's one of the best, best players in, in the world. So getting to train with him and having, you know, we'd push each other in the gym. Um, he may get the upper hand on some exercise. I get the upper hand in others, but then getting on the ice, being able to go one-on-one -on -one with him, uh, you know, pushing each other was, was great for us as well. What about going one-on-one -on -one at the bar? Who the hell fucking had a better time there? I, yeah. uh, both we did all right we both did all right <laughs> yeah. and we, we fed we fed off each other different styles different styles but we we both did all right yeah i mean he in toronto as you can imagine the you know the hockey mecca of the world it, it's tough to it's tough to even go for dinner there everyone you get recognized and it's um i feel bad for for the guys in the leafs especially the single guys who actually do go out like you, you don't have a life you can't enjoy yourself you can't even grocery shop it's you know for all the perks that you may get for playing there mm -hmm. um, especially if you're winning i'm sure that place is amazing you're probably not spending any money on food you're getting every every meal comp at any restaurant but when things aren't going great it's uh you know definitely a tough market to be in what's a uh what's a comparable feeling to stepping on the ice of the garden that somebody at home could kind of relate to 
there might not be one. <laughs> yeah, I feel but like that's a problem. In, ter- in terms of, I, yeah, I know, I'm but in terms of that, like, that's a, that's a really good question. I'm thinking, I've never yeah. been asked that before. Um, I'm thinking of like a funny golf meme right now where they talk about, <laughs> uh, they're just like, oh, you eat you part three and you flush, you flush a nine iron, you put it within three feet, you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. it, it, I haven't had anything comparable, you know, that's, yeah, I, I have nothing. I have nothing. There, there, there's no better feeling. There, there, there really isn't. Um, the garden when it's going is special, special, man. It really, I get goosebumps talking about it right now. Like it's, it's so special there. Well, I'll add to the goosebumps. You got to talk us through that game seven goal against Washington. Cause I was in like 10th <laughs> grade and you know, that was like the peak of my Ranger fandom when I was younger <laughs> and that goal was just so fucking sick. And I can't imagine, you know, how you felt. Um, yeah. I mean, third period, I think, I think was it the game before the triple overtime game too, where Gabby scored. And that was earlier. I, I, I don't remember earlier in the series. Yeah. 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 I, I just, we played Washington so many times. There, was, there were so many amazing memories from those series. Um, but that one, yeah, I know Ovechkin was on his offside. I was playing right D. I kind of I hit him. He went down. I just like saw the play go up. Gabby was carrying the puck. We were line changing. So I'm like, oh, fuck it. Y'all follow up on the play. See what happens. Like, I'm not worried about getting caught. His shot gets blocked. And next thing you know, it's kind of sitting in front of me. I, I grab it. I pull it in. Uh, there's a bit of a screen. I kind of shoot against the grain of the blocker side. It goes in. And like, after that, I kind of black out like I'm in the corner and I, I'm not one that really celebrates hard when I score. I, I know some guys do and, and, and they love it. Um, for me, I, I, I love celebrating with your teammates. You know, it's just like, it's, it's about the group effort. So I remember getting in the corner, putting my hands uh, in the air, all the, all the, my teammates came in and it was just, yeah, it was a surreal moment probably other than lifting the Stanley cup. That would be, you know, easily second best moment in my career um and again you know msg a big moment having the crowd Mm -hmm. go nuts you can't really you can't explain it's hard to explain you can't really explain that feeling to someone it's just something that you have to live and go through to really understand and and i get not everyone gets that experience but you can't really compare it to anything i'm more curious on how you just like unwind after that kind of game like scoring in that moment like you're you're playing a game one probably like two or three days later so you can't like go out yeah yeah i i i I did not go out that night i did not go out that but i also didn't sleep that night i was wide awake the whole night i i forget what i had i had I want to see over like 100, 150 text messages that night from from buddies and some people I didn't even know. Just you know, my phone was blown up, so like you you end up trying to answer those all night, and then and then once you are home after you'd eaten and kind of bring your, trying to bring yourself down, then you're reliving the moment. You're like holy fuck, like did that did that just happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and thinking like, hey, I'm a kid from a town of twenty thousand people outside Toronto, and you know, I just scored a game seven winner at MSG. The crowd with the towel was going nuts. Like that's. It, it's even more than you dream of, honestly, as a kid. Like you, you think of the best moment. Yeah, it's winning the Stanley Cup, but you never really like that moment. You dream of it, but it's just it's that on steroids. You just had the NHL Network rerun until you fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, my my last one. I, I I ask this to every guest that we have on. What's one story that that's always stuck with you forever? I, we, we had Boiler on, and he told us a story about when they slapped Hank's name on the back of his Lamborghini, and that quickly. Oh, Lundqvist, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I'm sure you got one, and and it it always plays well. Everybody loves to hear it. So so, what's your best story? What's one you could tell on here that you that you loved? Oof. Some, some, I, some, I can't tell. Some are, you know, For sure. go to the, go to the vault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, most of them, most of them revolve around torts. Like torts had so many amazing, like just epic one-liners. Um, one of my favorite ones, and then I'll get to a more sentimental one after, but one of my favorite ones with him, you know, we, I forget who we lost to and Aaron Boros was there and he was a you know, fourth line guy, good energy guy fought, like produced was a great guy, great locker room guy. And, Torts would sit right in the front row, uh, uh, projector screens in front of us, and he's you know playing the clips, and then he stops and he goes, "AV." He's like, "Where the fuck are you?" He turns around, and he's like, "He's like right here." He's like, "AV, you were a best player last night." He goes, "Great for you, not great for the team though." 
And everyone's like, oh, fuck. Like, trying so hard to compliment the guy, but then also just burying him after, too. And he just always yeah. had... And you have to you have to understand towards, like, he truly meant it to be supportive. Like, he truly did. But was also trying to send a message to the team, like, hey, if this guy's going to be our best player every night, we're probably not going to win many games. And there was just so many moments with him towards, like, every day was, was a learning experience. For me, you know, we... For sure, but we butt heads, you know, quite a bit early in my career. I had him at, you know, as we talked about at 19, and he was teaching me how to be a pro, defending the right way, blocking shots, doing all those things that would allow me to be an everyday NHL player for a long time. And once he left New York, and that was pretty much the end for me, uh, Vigneault, Elaine Vigneault came in and we didn't see eye to eye at all. He was, wasn't a very nice person, was, was very stubborn, um, tried playing me on the right side, which I'd never played in my career. Um, and it wasn't, hey, let's work together to make this happen. He's like, hey, you're playing here. That's it. So I, right, right away, didn't have the best. Uh, the first impression wasn't exactly uh, the greatest for me. So I'd asked for a trade. It got moved. And that was the year, you know, the, the, uh, you guys went to, the, went to the cup and lost to, to L.A. I had torts. I don't know, it would have been six years after that when I played in Columbus. And it was after the COVID year. Veterans weren't getting contracts. Um, you know, the, the league, the, the teams had lost so much money because of COVID. They were just bringing in young guys to fill in these extra roles. So I was sitting at home. I had nothing. It was like Christmas Eve. And I remember I called Torts. I'm like, Torts, I, I have nothing. It's like, can you bring me on a PTO? It's like, there's no risk for you guys. I come in. If I shift the bed, you get rid of me. If I play well and you like me, then we can talk about something. That's networking. So he and I end up, for sure. Yeah. But and that's, it's a guy that, you know, he obviously understood too. The work that I put in to become, you know, an all-around defenseman. I wasn't just an offensive guy anymore. And he went out of his way to give me an opportunity. I, I remember I wake up day after Christmas, driving from Toronto to drive from Toronto to Columbus. I rent a car, driving through a snowstorm because I have to get there at a certain time for the COVID testing. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. I get there, I go through training camp. Day one of training camp, Torts' camps are the absolute worst. <laughs> I'm going through his, his training camp test. I'm like, why the fuck didn't I just retire? Like, why am I here right now? You got the, you got this self talk going. And you're you're hating yourself. Anyways, I make I have a great camp. I make the team, and having him see me on a daily basis on the not even the player but the person and the man that he that I become, but he also made me into was such a rewarding experience for both of us. And we we talk about it to this day, like you know we. I came in as this young kid full of swagger and a little bit of a brad and stubborn. And then having him be able, be able to see me as a man and the player in person I become, even though we didn't have a great, great year that year was, you know, probably one of the more rewardable experiences uh, in my career. It was like, Hey, we both went through some shit, but look where we are now. Yeah, no, that's uh pretty, pretty sentimental. I was actually wondering where you're going to go when you said that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually have a couple more, if you don't mind, just like, just two more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But you know, I, I'm someone now who, and Avery gives me shit because you know, I, I'm in the media now somewhat. And I wish Alexi Lafreniere happy birthday in the locker room after the game against Buffalo, instead of asking a real fucking hockey question, but <laughs> you know, Cody, Cody, the other guy on the show, we actually rate his questions to yeah. the media. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll rate him. Hey, you know what? I, I, if I was there, I would have said, you know what? That's a, that's a stand up move because most guys are just asked questions for you to be personable enough to, to say that that's good for you. I respect that. Yeah, no, well, he's good. He's good. Well, I got to ask you, I mean, <laughs> you, you mentioned it before you alluded to it. Like, what do you wish the media would ask you more about? Or I guess, you know, I, I kind of want your advice for me, honestly, if that's selfish, but like, you know, <laughs> you get asked the same questions every single day. It's about, you know, what should you have done to win? You know, what could you have done differently? It's like sh shit happens. Like you're not going to play great every night, especially when the media gets out. Oh, he didn't play well. Connor McDavid doesn't play 82 good games a year. Mm -hmm. Sidney Crosby doesn't play 82 games, good games a year. If you, I, whatever the number is, I, I remember doing the math. Say if you play 60 to 65, 60 to 67, you know, depending on, I guess, positioning, what you consider good. If you just say good games, you know, obviously there's a, there's a chunk of those that would be great. That's a good season. Like that is, that is a good season. So if there's 20 plus times where like, ah, fuck you, like this guy sucked or he didn't play well. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. So there's a side where it's just like expecting perfection every single night it doesn't work that way. I remember I had, I had this conversation with DJ Smith when I was in in Ottawa. He pulled up a clip. He's like, oh, it's Miko Rantanen. He's like, oh, you let Miko Rantanen get the middle of the ice. He didn't score. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. He's like, you got to do you got to do this. And I was like, DJ, I'm making – and this was at the time. I was, I'm making $2 million. 
he's making nine nine million dollars. <laughs> Most of the time, he's probably going to get the upper hand on me. That's that's just how it works. He's a better player than me. Like that's just <laughs> just how it works. So so there's just I, I, that's the part that bugs me. It's like oh why like why did McDavid roast you? It's like no, he's the fucking best player in the world. Like there's other good other there's other guys. Yeah. There's every team other than maybe, you know, the Arizonas, every team has spent 81, 80, whatever the cap is, $82 million to put together the best team possible to win. So you're not going to be the best every single game, every single night, every single shift. And you're also going to be up against other players who are better than you. You're going to lose. They're going to get the upper hand on you. And I just don't understand how people don't understand that. So think of guys that are making league minimum at 775. How many players are making eight, nine, $10 million? You go against them 10 times in a game, they're probably going to get the, the better of you a majority of those uh, of those times. So that's the stuff that pisses me off. Like it's like a false, real, like false realization of what reality is as, as athletes. You know, it's, there's other players that are getting paid to also do a job. So one guy may win, one guy may lose. That's just how it works. You, you praise the guy who wins and you berate the guy who loses. Right? It, switches hands numerous times honestly that's such like a breath of fresh air just like saying he's fucking better than me what do you want me to do like he is i told him like he's a fucking better player than me i don't like i don't know what you want me to do like he he beat me okay great he didn't score though yeah he didn't score so like we should we should we shouldn't even be talking about this we should be happy yeah i let him get the middle of the night the middle of the ice but he didn't beat me to the net i'm if i'm if that's me critique i'm like hey michael like good job you know i'd be patting myself on the back also, like nothing pissed me off more as a player, like in video sessions where like it's so easy to rewatch a game and say where you should have been yeah. or whatever. But when you're on the ice reading the play, like you're not up top watching everything fucking develop. You know, it's it's so hard exactly. to really like exactly put yourself. You're in not pressing. Mind. Yeah, stop. Yeah, stop and play every single time. And especially now, guys are they have all those stupid analytics stats now. These guys are skating at what 24, 25 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But yeah, things happen pretty fast out there. It's not you can't just react. It's not like football where everything is from a dead stop and you can play everything out. You can read beforehand. Things happen so fast in hockey. Honestly, I made that point last night on Twitter. Cause people were talking about how the Rangers, like it's not a system thing. And I was like, system or no system. Like, like it's a read and react sport, you know, like you can have X's and O's, but not everything's going to be the same every fucking time. And I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Just piss me off. But- you, you, <laughs> you put the best systems in place to give yourself the best opportunity to win. But then after that, you have to play. Yeah. Because you can't hold guys' hands on the ice for all 60 minutes. It's impossible. So if you haven't, you give the guys the most information or the best information at hand to allow them to now use their skill set to go and, and, and hopefully win a majority of those opportunities that they have against the other team. I love you so much for saying that. And I have to ask you before we let you go, I know you didn't win the cup with the Rangers, but not every day we have a Stanley Cup champion on here. So we got to ask, how'd you spend your day with the cup when you won it with St. Louis? Um, I had it at my, at the time I had my house in Toronto. I had it at my house in the backyard. We had like a little pool party. It was like 50 of my uh, closest friends and family. Um, I think my buddy was actually DJing a party that you had. I'm not, now that I'm remembering, to be honest. At at night in Toronto? Yeah. I think my buddy. So we, we, we had, we, we had gone out afterwards at downtown Toronto. Yeah. But during the day we'd celebrate just friends and family. Um, and then we'd gone out that night, but, but during the day, um, for me, you know, my, my family's everything. Um, watching my parents lift the cup and then specifically my brother, you know, my brother you know, loves hockey more than I do, if I'm being honest with you. Like he is, like he loves, loves hockey. He's a very bright guy, but has always loved hockey from, from the moment we were, we were kids. So watching him lift it was probably the, um, the coolest moment of my life. Yeah, That's awesome. it really was. So just, I, we had a little bit of time, just the four of us um, at my house and just, kind of taking it all in and that year was a fucking crazy one for me i started off in vancouver um had a great year the year before was actually the only year i played 82 games the next year was feeling pretty pretty confident coming into camp and the team just they just wanted to go young so i was at the time believe it or not at 28 was one of the older guys and like oh we're we're gonna we're gonna go young we're gonna let these guys play and fuck so it was a contract year for me i was waiting around to be traded i got traded anaheim and I'm partnered with Cam Fowler and we're having like, this is the most fun I've had in a long time. We just see eye to eye. We understand the game. The game just came very easy and natural to us. Uh, we lose back to back divisional games right before the trade deadline. And now we're like, I don't know, eight, 10 points out of a playoff spot. 
trade deadline comes, I'm traded again to St. Louis. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm living out of a, a suitcase now. You know, it's been a month and I'm just going back and forth. Uh, it's not a comfortable feeling. As much as you're going to different teams and different spots is great, but being in a hotel, living out of a suitcase and not feeling settled is not fun. I go to St. Louis and that's when they're trending hard. You know, they're last place team in the league and then it's like they couldn't lose and they just got hot at the right moment. Um, and it, as crazy as the year was for me and as dark of times I was in and, and not wanting to be involved in hockey, not wanting to play, considering retiring, you know, at the end of that year, um, at the end of the day, getting to, to lift the Stanley Cup was, um, you know, it was all worth it. You know, it was in playoffs. I wasn't playing. Um, they, I was brought in as a depth defenseman in case there was injuries. There was no injuries. I was still the first guy at the rink every single day. Worked my fucking ass off. First guy in the gym. Um because of that, you t- if you go off the um, off the rules of how you get your name in the cup, technically I would have been I shouldn't have been on the cup, but because of the work ethic I put in, showing my teammates, you know, God forbid someone did get hurt, I'd be able to step in, and and they know that they could trust me that I'd be ready to to fill that spot in the lineup. Because of that, um, they've been an exception for me. I got my name on the cup. That's and, um, You know, that's one. It's one of the most things I'm proud about. Is you know, even though. Not all of them may have seen it. Um, and not everyone was there. You know, I'd be the first guy at the rink. No one else was around. And I was putting the work in. And, and at times, it was, it was very tough not knowing if you'd play again. Um, and for them to, you know, to see that and respect me for it was, um, you know, it was, it was special. It was, uh, you know, again, one of the most memorable moments in my career, knowing that um, I went out of my way. And it was, uh, I was rewarded for it. Yeah, that's that's. They unreal. actually did it because you had to deal with Larry Brooks the first uh, couple years. Of your career. <laughs> that was a reward. It was great when Dan Dan Boyle abused him at the end of the. Uh, oh, the yeah. I guess it was the end of his career. Yeah, the the exit meeting, and it was great that because no one says anything, right? Yeah, Torts was one of the I, great Torts moment. I was there outside in Philly when he ta- I asked Brooks if he'd been beat up at a bu- bus stop before. You know, and I was I was fucking I was on I was on the bike cooling down after the game, dying laughing. Um, listen, he, he's been around a long time and I respect what he's done, but I, I just think there's some of the, the rude, sarcastic remarks, uh, th- there's no place for that because yeah. I, I promise you, if he went on the ice and tried to compete against some of the other guys, he, he wouldn't be getting off in one piece. Uh, I do have, I do have one more and don't kill me for asking one more. I, know, you're good. I always say last one and then I have like three follow-ups, but you're good. You're good. What was, cause obviously you mentioned your cup year was not you know, the most glamorous season for you. What was your happiest or, or most fun you've had playing the game of hockey? Um, I feel like those New York years might stand out. You know, you were so... Yeah, so the New York years for sure, like my rookie year for sure, um, you know, was great because as I mentioned before, you're just, you were just playing. You didn't really know. You were naive to everything else going on. You're kind of delusional as to what was actually happening. You were just playing, having fun and, and having the best time of your life. Uh my third, I was third or my fourth year there when I put up a ton of points. Uh, my third year, I guess that would have been, um, was great too. You know, unfortunately, I think that was the year Stalzy was hurt, so I was given more minutes, and I kind of just ran with it and made the most of it. Um, it. Was a big opportunity for me to step in and not feel like I was always looking over my shoulder, wondering who else is coming in. Um, you know, if I don't play well, who's going to take my spot? You just you got to play with with a little bit of a of a runway. Mm-hmm. Um, that game seven, like that time, the, having a, a long playoff run was was amazing. Um, you know, what fucked us that year is we went seven games. We were the first seed, Ottawa was eight, and we went seven games with them. We should have swept them or at least one in five. So by the time we got to the next series and we went seven again, we were we were gassed. We were done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had some great years in Philly. Barbie, my there was, there was a stretch in Philly. Um, I wasn't playing. It was December. I feel like I, I, didn't, I don't think I played one game in December. I was waiting for an opportunity. I actually remember calling my brother. I'm like, I, I think I'm done. Like, I think, I think that's it for me. Like we got to figure out a new plan. I got to go to school. I got to, you know, like, this is it for hockey for me. And then I get back in the lineup in January and it was one of those. I was like, fuck it. Like this is my last opportunity. We're going down swinging. Mm-hmm. And like, I couldn't miss. It's like, I think I had like five or six game winners. Any, any goal was barred down. Like it was <laughs> like, there was nothing just hitting meshes. Like everything was barred down. It was just like highlight real goal. I was playing 25 minutes a night. Then I was playing PK. I was playing all situations. And I, I went on a tear the rest of the year. And then after that, I ended up signing my, my biggest contract after that. So I went from, you could argue, rock bottom, not playing for a month, thinking that I was done. And then probably the hottest stretch 
as far as points wise, but how I stretch of hockey I'd played it, it throughout my whole career. So that would be probably the most fun too, or just like you're scoring game winners. Like it's, yeah. Not bad. It's, yeah. That's it's exciting. Yeah. yeah it's very exciting. I had one against, uh, against New York. Actually, I actually remember one high glove on Talbot. That was like one of the, <laughs> one of the goals I remember specifically too. Um, so the New York years, long answer. Yeah. The New York years. And then one of the Philly years was, uh, was great too, because I ended up earning again, earning mm-hmm. uh, the best contract in my career after that. All right. I might have one more. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Got Keep it. going. You got questions. You got questions. Ask. I know you got to get to the beach, dude. I don't want to take up your two-hour beach reflection period. No, you're good. You're good. It's it's, it's raining right now, so <laughs> yeah. it's perfect timing. All right, fuck that. We'll keep you for another hour. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, you know, I feel like this is just interesting for the fans. Like, I don't, I don't think you crossed paths with Laviolette, but you've mentioned a couple times here that Torch was your favorite coach, and I feel like they're a little bit similar in their tactics. Like, did you ever have any experience with Laviolette? I know there's like a Nashville. And- I, I didn't, but I, I played against him. He's, yeah, I mean, he's coached every every team in the the Metro, so I've, <laughs> I've played against him for so many years. Um, I've heard great things. He's honest, uh, but a player's coach as well. Um, you know, some, some definitely some good coaches in the league. I wish they'd give other guys an opportunity. It's still, you saw the the Babcock situation, which yeah. is what a fucking disaster that was. Mm-hmm. Um, just giving guys another opportunity as opposed to just, you know, recycling these, the same guys over and over again. Yeah. All right, DZ, we appreciate your time and and the floor is yours. If you want to plug anything, I know you're a real estate king now in Florida. If anyone's looking for a house. (laughs) Yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy. Uh, Other than, other than being at the beach, which we spoke about, uh, I have my real estate license here in Florida. So definitely happy to help out on, on the residential side. And then probably the most fun, um, thing I'm doing right now is I'm doing some work with a golf travel company. So we curate golf trips from the moment you land to the moment you leave. So if you, and there's a 12, so say 16 year boys, yeah. you guys want to go to Scotland, Ireland, or, you know, if you want to do a domestic trip, um, I'm not sure how big a golfers you are. Firestone, Kiowa Island, Scottsdale, Pebble, you name it. Avery's hard right now. Again from <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Put the lotion away. Um, <laughs> So we, 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 oh, there we go. Yeah. So we cure, we curate trips, trips all over the world. We essentially eliminate the, the stress and headache of having to plan. Um, so that way you show up and all, all you have to worry about is, is making your double bogeys and the rest is history. You do bachelor parties? Yes, but we don't do like, Myrtle, we don't do Myrtle Beach trips. We do luxurious, uh, golf spots yeah we're not doing mini puck courses yeah. we're, doing, we're doing you know bucket list top 100 courses yeah got it got it well thank you dz we appreciate this so much seriously thanks for having me guys i appreciate it we really want to thank our boy michael delzato for hopping on and shooting the shit with us great time talking to him um super cool and like we said in the intro like he literally spent like 45 minutes after uh hanging out with us so um great guy avery any final thoughts him and I are going to be best friends. Yeah, you guys really hit it off, I feel like, the Miami connection. Yeah. This is the reason why I moved down here, to make new friends. And if my first friend down here – well, not my first. Obviously, I got AJ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a couple guys at the office. But if one of my newest friends is Michael Delzato, I think I can live with that. How are you, like, meeting new people? I, I kind of did want to ask you about that. I'm like, easy. as far yeah, as outside yeah, work. Easy. Are you- I'm easy. I I like – I'll, I'll – First, first, first things first. I give everybody a chance. I, I don't, I don't care. Like I, I'll always talk to new people. I, I'm not shy. I'm, I'm. I'll always get right in there in terms of, hey, how's it going? You know, what's your story? Because you, you want to feel pers- personable. I, I see. You know, I've had, I've had a chance in my life to be around a lot of athletes and like see how they. You know, for us people who look up to them, how they treat us and how they. You know, I'm not, I'm not an athlete, but what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at, I know you're smiling, but what I'm trying to get at is that they're, they're on top of the world and they still give their time of the day to talk to people. So it's like, I have no reason or any excuse to be like an asshole to anybody. So I'm always just, I'll talk to anybody. You totally just fumble fucked in your brain there. You had, you had a thought and then you just lost it. I feel like. Yeah, I do that a lot, man. <laughs> I do that a lot. It's uh, yeah. it's the life of a video editor who stays up late a lot. You got any uh, big things coming up with better or anything we should look out for? Um, yeah, Jake Paul's got his fight on December 15th. Opponent is being announced on Friday. You're listening to this on Thursday. So tomorrow, um, anything else big? No, that's it, man. Jake Paul, big fight coming up. That's sick. 
That's gonna be awesome. I've actually yeah. never been to a fight. I've been dying to. That's like a bucket list to go to a, a boxing fight or an MMA fight or something like that. Yep. Should. All right. And the Rangers play tonight in Edmonton at nine o'clock. Saturday night at ten in Vancouver. And then we'll have an episode coming out Monday. Uh, I would think we'll have an episode coming out Monday. We'll probably record an episode on Sunday uh, for you guys. So before that game against the Winnipeg Jets. Um, that's all I've got. You got any final thoughts, Avery? That's it. I'm done talking. All right. You want to do Cody's LFGR? <laughs> all right. LFGR, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.